You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, Dancing Together, Step 2, The Man's Part, recorded on Sunday, October 15, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello everybody. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Harvest Community Church, whether you're sitting right here where I am in Catanning or in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or beautiful Freeport, or Petrolia Valley, or even in jail, though you probably don't want to be seeing us in jail, but if you are, welcome. I hope to bring you the Word of God today. Um, we're going through this, this series, Man, Woman, and God. Woman, God, Man, Woman. <laughs> uh, let's do it that way. Um, this isn't to be controversial, and it's not to be relevant. That's not why we're doing this. Our mission is to increase the health and size of God's church. That's, that's what we live to do. It's, it's the reason, um, if you came to church today, uh, someone was standing there handing you a bulletin. It's the reason why there's kids' ministry going on. It's the reason why there's people in a tech room. It's the reason why the worshipers are up here, and it's the reason why I'm standing here. Our goal is to increase the health and size of God's church. We're working on the same project in history he is, his church, his bride. But that that means size, of course. You want to grow. You want as many people as possible to know the gospel. But it also means health. And to have a healthy church is not a one-time deal. It's something we all have to work on constantly together. And there's a lot of ways to define a healthy church. But uh, perhaps one way to do it would be to say it's made up of a core, hopefully the leaders and then those growing in leadership and influence, a core of people who are submitted to what the the Bible says is true. They're gospel people. They believe they are saved by grace, by, by the kindness of God, and that they try to live by that grace and it expresses itself in loving one another. When you have issues right now where we live in... Check, check, check. Here I am. When we live in a culture that is erasing truth, and truth is really a free-for-all, then the, you know, we're all products of that culture. We need to make sure we know on the area where the world doesn't seem to know up from down, what does God think? This is not a time to say, what does Pastor Mike think about man, woman, and God? Is not a time for you to give your opinion on what you think the Bible says. This is our time to go together as God's family and say, God, what do you say? We want to hear from you. We want to see what you have to say so we can submit our minds to what you think. If we don't do that, we won't be a healthy church because we'll have wrong ideas that we all carry in with us and we won't know how to be a healthy church. We definitely won't know how to interact with the world around us with truth. And we want to be able to speak the truth in love. So that's why we're going through this. I also realize that my brain is soaked in this subject every week because I have to preach and prepare and be ready to be up here. I can't just wing it. I guess I could, but I won't, hopefully. But um, yours, you know, you've got to... You've got a lot of time in between, and uh, you're not perhaps studying this all week long, hopefully not, and you might have questions that go unanswered, and I don't want that to happen. So what we're doing for the next several weeks 
we are collecting your questions so that every question you have gets answered. And if you were to look in your brochure here, it says 724-567-8192. That is nobody's phone number, all right? So it's a text number. If anyone asks you to sign up for something online and you, want, and you don't want to give your phone number, give this one. <laughs> what the heck? But what you need to use it for is to text your questions. Now, some of you, most everyone here can text a question. If someone here says, I don't text questions, well, go to your your campus pastor and ask him, would you help me text it? Hopefully, you don't have to go that far. You could go to your closest six-year-old and say, could you help me text this question? (laughs) Get someone else to text the question. If you absolutely are, are the one Point one, or the 0.1% of people who can't find a way to get a question texted, um, then go find Pastor Dave. Information is in the bulletin. But otherwise, what we, we want all these to come in, and they can come in for weeks now. And uh, it doesn't matter what the question is. It doesn't matter how dumb the question is, because you don't have to put your name on it. So if someone says, boy, that was a dumb question, nobody will know who asked it. <laughs> you know what they say, there's no dumb questions, right? <laughs> there's just dumb people. No, they don't. <laughs> That's not what they say. Well, that's what I say. Very true. <laughs> Very true. See, they tell you there's no stupid questions in school, but I always was sitting there thinking, yeah, but I could be stupid, and if I ask this question, they'll know that. But in seriousness, if you have a question, it's, it's important. So text it in. We'll answer them all up front, probably with a panel, not just me. I'd like to bring my wife up, too. When you preach on men and women, people are always wondering, wonder what his wife thinks of this. Um, Everything I preach is wife approved. <laughs> but so keep that number and, and text it right during the sermon. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter when you do it. And, um, and we'll collect those and we'll answer those because we, we don't want you to be left behind on any questions. Now, today is, uh, we're going to talk about dancing for the next week or two, or even three, um, because dancing matters. I I am suggesting to you that when a male and female are together, um, it is not a war. It shouldn't be a war, although our world tells us it's a war, it's a competition. Um, Show them you can do it, and all that. But it's it's not a competition. It's a dance, right? Because if men compete with women, they bully, and if women compete with men, they don't want men around. You know, it, it just doesn't work. And that's, um, but, it, uh, but a dance works where the two are working together. And, and, and I'd say that Adam and Eve did not have any trouble with fighting before they fell into sin. They danced together. He led in the way he was supposed to lead. She followed his lead in a beautiful and supportive way that she was supposed to. But, but would that last forever? Think of a dangerous dance floor. Um, think of a dance floor. This, is, this would be fun if you went to a wedding and this was the dance floor. Big dance floor. And, and as the husband and, and, and wife dance their opening dance, at different times unannounced, fire shoots up from one spot in the floor, right? And they never know where it's going to be, you know, or how many intervals. And they'll be like, just, whoa, hey, the dress is on fire. He's putting her out. It's hard to dance when fire shoots up from the floor, and when you get near the walls, all of a sudden, the claws that you didn't see of tigers and lions, not bears, oh my, come out, and they grab, they grab at you, and you're constantly pulling yourself or your, your bride, if you're a man, away from the claws, right? And then, worse than that, um, people who hate you are throwing 
uh, out cooking oil when you can't see them and it's very slippery. Um, would that not be the most awesome wedding dance you ever saw? Unless you were the groom or the bride, in which case that would be a very dangerous dance. Well, when, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, it's like they introduced that dance floor. It's like they, they went from easy dancing became dangerous dancing. Well, that's my metaphor. Let's get into some of the nuts and bolts. And today, we're only going to look at the husband. Uh, there's two, two people dance, someone has to lead. Someone has to lead or you can't dance. And um, so we're going to say the husband's the leader here, and he needs to lead. So we're going to see, well, how is he supposed to do that? Um, our first text, we have two, you'll notice, is Genesis 3, 16 to 19. Um, and let's look there. Genesis 3, 16 to 19. We will be coming back to Genesis next week, too, or next time, too. Ready? Genesis 3. To the woman, God said, now this is after they fell into sin. Don't you love it when I start to read a text and then I interrupt myself? You're like, just read it. Yes, you do love it. I'm glad you love it. Um, well, I want to make sure you get the context. They, Adam and Eve had just eaten the fruit they shouldn't have. And they're in big, big trouble. And sin has invaded them. Now God is telling them the consequences of that. So to the woman, God says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Um, they might be pains after they're born, too. <laughs> Wait, it doesn't say that. <laughs> your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. We talked about that one last week. And, and to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Huh. Brief notes. Okay, brief notes on this. Um, uh, to, to, to help put it in a category in our minds, the reason we keep going back to this is because God's saying this is the result of sin. This is how sin screwed up what wasn't screwed up. And you'll note that to the woman, he says something completely different than the man. He doesn't talk to the men about the children. He doesn't talk to him about his even relationship with his wife at this point. And he doesn't talk to the woman about working in the field or sweat or anything. Um, so he goes to differing things because they're going to have different primary roles and we want to look at the man's. But before we do, just some brief notes that we shouldn't skip on this text. One, the woman that the man is to lead will be his chief obstacle. The hardest part for a man who wants to be a good Christian husband will be, well, the next to hardest, but the hardest external part will be his wife. She's going to be trouble. Um, you, I know, you look at her. When, when guys get married and they, this is the way this works. Guys and gals are different, no matter what you learn in college. Um, when, when guys are waiting, they see the girl, she's perfect, she's wonderful, she's completely inoffensive in every th- way good, and when she gets here, he, he thinks this is how it is today, this is how she shall be tomorrow, and into all the tomorrow. Whereas the woman comes up thinking, he's all right, I can work with him. 
but he's wrong because verse 16 is because she she has in her relationship with her husband trouble that wouldn't have been there before it, it is perhaps we talk a lot about the feminists today because they're in our worldview but that this is the this is the part the feminists take and make as big as possible do I want to be ruled by this man? <laughs> That's what they ask. This is a dangerous dance floor we're now on. How do I know this clown who's leading me knows how to dance? <laughs> I better handle a lot of this stuff myself. And you're, it's really hard to lead someone who thinks like that. And your wife is going to be tempted to think like that all the time. Not saying she will, but it's going to be there. God says to Christian men, lead your wife. And then sometimes Christian men find, well, she doesn't want to follow me. Stinks to be you. That's what you have to do. Second, the man is tasked with producing the wealth the family needs. The role that God lays on him, go get the food. And with that, you have whatever else is needed. You're going to sweat (laughs) and you're going to bring home food to eat and no doubt build a shelter that you can live in and and, and whatever the wealth is needed. Now, I want to be clear here. I will be even louder and clearer when we talk about the woman and later so we don't have the revisionist history that strikes us in America that says women aren't supposed to be in the marketplace. There is no prohibition in the Bible about women and, and business. Or marketplace, right? I'm not going to tell you that women are prohibited there, right? We will talk about the primary roles, but the whole idea that, that going to get money is all the man's job and not the woman's job really is a caricature of middle-class lifestyles after the Industrial Revolution. <laughs> and if you say, what did that mean? Don't worry, we'll talk later. But this is not a prohibition on women handling money or getting wealth, But it is, to be sure, pointing out that the man's chief role is to be responsible for that. It's his job. If if the family doesn't eat, it's not her fault. It's his fault. If they have no place to stay, it's not her fault. It's his fault. It doesn't mean he can't use her wealth-creating abilities to help. In fact, today, it's not uncommon for a certain subset of men in our society to look for women who are good at providing a living so they can be lazy. It's just true, and it's not right, and it's ugly, and it's not manly. In fact, I'd go farther. and We know from the New Testament, the rule is for men to work so they can make money to pay for themselves and to have some left over for others. There's one point that we know this where Paul says to those who who were thieves before they were saved. He says, listen, you used to steal. Don't steal anymore, but work with your hands so you have enough to give to others. So you as as a Christian male, married or not married, should be paying for yourself if at all possible. If you can't, for a real reason, I'm not trying to be insensitive, but most of you can. And you should. But you shouldn't just pay for yourself. Even if you're single, you should think, how can I get enough money to help others too? And if you're married, it's your responsibility primarily to make sure there's enough for everybody. 
Third, the world will always fight against the man's efforts. Um, the yield that the earth brings this man, if, as we read our text, <laughs> it's painful. He, he, God uses painful words. He's saying, cursed will be the ground. In pain, you shall eat pain. Thorns and thistles, it'll bring. The, the ground itself will fight you by the sweat of your face. We all wish work was always happy. But, you know, there's that old song. Uh, 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 the, the, was that the Rock Candy Mountain? That song about drinking <laughs> and being a bum? Um, I'm not saying it's a good song, but in, in that song he says, he says he was, where they hung the Turk that invented work. I mean, <laughs> people want to get away from work because work stinks, you know. Some people love their jobs, but not every bit of their job. Work is hard. You, you move the, the ball forward two yards, and it gets pushed back one yard. You make enough money to do this, the taxes take more from you. This costs what you need, but now this broke, and you don't have enough to pay for what you need. I'm constantly fighting. I painted the house that needs to be painted again. I'm constantly fighting to provide what I need to provide. I'm always sliding backwards. It's always hard. If you think that's your experience, men, welcome to the world. It is. And it's normal because of sin. And you try to lead a wife and everything you're doing pushes the wrong way. Still, along with that, the biggest challenge in your world isn't the world and it isn't your wife. The biggest challenge for a man leading his wife or anyone else is within himself. The biggest challenge you have is Adam sinned. And when he sinned, he died. And, 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 and sin does not do righteousness. It rebels. It says, I won't do what you say. You want the perfect life? You live perfectly obedient to God. But you can't do that because you're a sinner. And it's, it's not that you're just too weak to do the good thing. It's actually something within you wants to do the wrong thing. Uh, our modern world will tell you it's a condition it's a disease it isn't a condition it isn't a disease it's sin well I'm just a sexaholic well you may be an aholic of anything all that means is you're stuck but the problem is you sin and you want to you know you may be a greedy jerk who's constantly lying to customers and doesn't spend enough time at home it's because you want to. James says this in the New Testament. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. You sin because you want to sin, men. Ladies too. But, but if you're trying to lead someone in a dance and you're like, I don't even want to lead you in a dance. Why should I have to lead? It's going to be hard to get through the dance. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. So, men, God has tasked you with the responsibility to be responsible and to lead, and yet you're going to be tempted to quit and just indulge in sin. I'll just go find other women, or I'll just go drink, or I just won't be home. I saw a shirt today. I should have taken a picture of it. It had a picture 
of a man and a woman, kind of like the one in our symbol here, like the bathroom ones, right? And the woman's head is turned, and the symbol for words are coming out of her mouth. And the man is obviously listening to whatever words are coming out of her mouth, and they they look kind of like angry symbols, right? It says problem. And then solution, you had the, the man, you know, the bathroom guy, but he's got his arm out like this, and he has a fishing pole, and there's no woman, and he's fishing. That's like perfect for my sermon. Can I have your shirt? I'm not going to lead her. I'm going fishing. I don't need to be around this woman. And it's at this point that we remember both men and women that we're talking, when when we talk about what is right and true, it's very practical. This isn't up here, up here in our abstract. What's true about male and female? Well, this is true. Now, you have to live with these things because you either are a male or a female. It's very practical, and we're talking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, listen very closely to what I'm about to say. We must start with repentance from sin and turning to Jesus for forgiveness of sin. You're not going to be a great husband or as great as you could be personally if you do not slay your old nature, which wants to sin. Do you want victory over that? You can have it, but you're not going to have it if you don't kill the old nature and let the Holy Spirit come and live within you. Ladies and men, have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you received Him? He died on a cross to pay for your sin, to take it all away, and then to put His life in you, enabling you to have freedom forever and to... Obey him. It's a change of nature. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Are you a new creature? Do you know Christ as Savior? If not, today's the day to ask him. All right. That's our setup. Now let's get to our main nuts and bolts text. Ready? Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. If you have your Bibles, you might look there so you can mark it up if you want. (laughs) Ephesians 5. We're just going to take a portion of it, verse 25 to 30. Husbands, if you're a single man, pay attention. Hopefully you'll be a husband one day. In any way, you should be, this will help you learn to be a gentleman in the first place. There's not enough of that. In our world. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Don't love your old girlfriend who you found on Facebook. Love your wife, the one you married. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, that's make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might... Present the church to himself in splendor. Hope you see the church. Christ is like you, man. Church is like the bride. In splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the body, the church, Christ does the church because we're members of his body. No one 
ever hated his own flesh. I do have to put one thing in here because the modern psychobabble has convinced people that people do hate their own flesh because they either cut themselves or they're filled with self-loathing and shame or they kill themselves. And people say, no, I hate myself. Okay, in psychobabble terms, maybe you think you hate yourself, but you don't. You care for yourself. The reason if you do cut yourself, which hopefully God, I know God can set you free if you turn to him with that, is because you don't feel good and you think you will feel better. It's an act that it's misguided in order through your twisted thinking to make yourself feel better. That's something, making yourself feel better is a kindness. It's a dumb one. You brush your nasty teeth so they're not nasty. Because you say, I'm filled with self-loathing. I got to get some whitening toothpaste. You know what I mean? I hate myself. But then you clip your toenails. Because they, they scratch my feet when I'm sleeping. I hate myself. I'm clipping those babies. I mean, you. I hate myself. Would you like some burnt toast? No. Give me steak and eggs. But I hate myself. Why are you eating steak and eggs? Because it's what myself, who I hate, likes. And even the deception of suicide, it's always a deception. It's always wrong. And even that, the person is thinking the second afterwards, they'll be better off. Well, they wouldn't do it. So when he says no one ever hated his own flesh, that's true. You take care of yourself. Okay, here are the steps of a husband. Don't you like steps? I never give step sermons. This is it. This is your touchy-feely sermon that you've always been looking for. These is, now we can have a consumer-driven, seeker-sensitive church. <laughs> now, I already blew that one. You're only allowed to preach 20 minutes. <laughs> Some of you are saying, what's he talking about? Don't worry. Number one, love her. Love her as I have loved her. I just had a Princess Bride moment. (laughs) Some of you see the movie. I can hear you laughing. Love her as I have loved her. (laughs) Boo! Okay. Love her as Christ loved the church. If you haven't seen the Princess Bride, you should at least see it for the marriage scene. Because a guy says, he goes, my wedge, my wedge is what brings us. And so I'm at my brother Victor's wedding, right? This has nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm at my brother Victor's wedding. And, and, and um, Mark is there. Max is there. Max is the oldest. He's kind of the boss because he's the oldest. And, and Victor and Jerry. And, and, and Mark says to me, I'll give you $100 if you start, because I was doing the wedding. If you start Victor's wedding with the way they did it in Princess Bride. And I'm like, well, I'll do it, but I know my brother Mark. He's not going to pay. And we all, we all know my brother Mark, we, you know. And I said, you don't even have $100. Yeah, yeah, I do. And he pulls out two fifties and he's rubbing them together. And I know they're going to go back in his pocket. I'm not going to see them again. I said, yeah, but... And then my brother Max, who's the oldest, always the king, he grabs the 50 and the 50, puts it in his pocket, and he goes, I'll hold it. And he goes, okay, I'll do it. And I did it, and I got the 100. <laughs> So now some of you say, you've got to see the movie. That's all I can say. One, love her as Christ loved the church. Love her as Christ loved the church. Love her as Christ loved the church. Do you see the impossibility of that already? The standard is very high. It's perfection. You have the authority in the marriage. 
right? Does that make you feel pretty excited? Good. You know what you get to do with that authority? You get to be tender. You get to encourage. You get to serve. You get to not condemn. You get to not criticize. You don't even get to manage her. Because that's none of those things are how Christ loved the church. You know, there's a lot of different kinds of authority. And I'm not a woman, but I can imagine. And, and I could see fear of being told, you need to submit to your husband's leadership if I had any whiff that that's a license to be misused or to be treated less than or even worst of all like property. And I want to assure women that's not what's being called here too. And I especially want to assure the men. There are types of authority. And a man has the authority in the relationship. But authority, the, the authority depends on a relationship. Not all authority is equal. Right? God has authority over everything. Everything must obey God at all times. <laughs> if I were a slave, whoever owned me would have authority over me. I must do what that person says. That's pretty absolute. If I was a student, and I've often been a student, I'm on the earth, under the authority of a teacher and an administration. That teacher is very limited in how he or she can lead me. They can lead me at certain times, on certain days of the week, to do certain assignments, and they can only do certain things as punishment, like give me Fs on my grades. They cannot, you know, put me on the dunking stool in the middle of the town and say, oh, he's a lousy student. They don't have that much authority. It's all related to the teaching event. If I'm an employee... The, the boss, whoever that is, has only the authority to do what the, the company that he does is contracted to do. I don't have to go out and do things that the, that the job doesn't call for. And I only have to do whatever I've contracted to do with him. But he does have that authority and he can take my job away if I don't do what I'm supposed to do. He's the boss and I'm not. If I'm a citizen of the nation, depending on the nation... I have the rights and freedoms accorded by the documents of that nation, and they have authority. If I'm a child, the authority over me of my parents <laughs> is limited to parental authority. It's pretty absolute when you're little, but as you grow, it be, you, you start to gain freedom. Or you're supposed to. And eventually they push you off, and all the authority pretty much ends. The authority of a cop, if he arrests somebody, is pretty absolute <laughs> for that moment. Unless the law says, let him go. What is the authority of a husband over a wife? What is the authority of a husband over a wife? Ready for a surprise? The authority a husband has over a wife is whatever authority she wants to give him and no more. Whatever authority you have, men, is whatever she gives you. And you say, wait a minute. God told me I could lead her. Yes, he did. He certainly did. But what if she doesn't care? Well, I'm a maker, you know. <laughs> you know, some guys go that way. Well, I can make her care. You know, you, they say you can't lead a, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, I'll make him drink. I'll shove a hose down his throat. You know, some men approach marriage like that. If you're dancing with a woman who doesn't follow your steps, do you know what? There's nothing you can do except stumble around the floor. Have you married a clumsy wife? <laughs> or a wife who just doesn't like to dance with you? 
but is out there. There's nothing you can do. You can exercise as much authority as she allows. In, in other words, you're not empowered to make... If, if she was your employee, you could make her do things. If she was your student, you could make her... I knew a man once, a Christian man, who married a Christian woman, and we would later find out he was beating her. They're no longer married. His... his he was saying, because I have authority over her, and if my child disobeyed me, I would spank my child, so I spanked my wife by beating her. He said that. His error, his obvious error, was he didn't understand the authority of a husband and a wife. The Bible says the two become one flesh. The two are one person. That's a strange authority. You don't, you don't beat yourself. You don't do that. So, you lead a wife and she follows you to the extent that she wants to. Maybe that's a better way to put it. You're going to lead, she'll follow as much as she wants to, and that's all. To which someone could ask, then why would any woman submit to her husband's authority if he can't make her or punish her for not following? (laughs) Before answering the question, can I point out, why would any Christian follow Jesus? You say, well, that's a silly question. We Christians love Jesus. Of course you do. But you've heard this question. It's normally stated this way. From an unbeliever, they'll say to you, are you telling me if I receive Christ that he forgives all my sins? Yes. Even the ones I haven't done yet? yet? Yes. Then why wouldn't I just sin all I want after I receive them? It's the same question. The answer is you obey Jesus because you love him or you don't obey him at all. Right? You don't obey Jesus because he has a gun to your head. I mean, some of you might, but you need to repent of that. He died for all your sins, even your future sins. You can't say, well, I'm going to obey him so he doesn't throw me into hell. That's, you go to heaven because you receive the free gift of eternal life because he died for you. You cannot obey your way into heaven. Then why would I obey him? That's what the unbeliever said too. Answer, because you love him. And you trust him. And you know it's best for you. There's a million good reasons. But most of them are, and what if you don't? What if you say, I'm going to go do something bad right after this sermon? He won't stop you. In In all likelihood, he'll let you do it. How many times has he let you sin when you wanted to? Did he come down and go, you're mine, Pooh! that'll show you. I mean, he might discipline you with pain in some way or another. But even that, the point is so you will learn and you will choose the right thing. Of course, that's God. <laughs> you don't discipline your wife. Why would a wife submit to a man's authority if she doesn't have to? Because she loves him. Or she won't. It's an act of love to do it. Ladies who constantly rebel against their husband or usurp them don't love them well. Now, you can't, men, you can't love just like Jesus. He washes us clean of our sins. You cannot wash your wife of her sins. Um, But, let me give some application points. Husband is to lead without pushing, 
controlling, coercing, forcing, abusing, belittling, misusing, or, this is a big one, coaching. Men, Christ doesn't lead you like that. He leads you by love. He gets you to come say, Jesus, I want more of you. Because you can have more of me. But let me give you something very practical. Never coach your wife in anything unless it's absolutely invited and then tread softly. In other words, she doesn't need to know how the chicken could taste better. And she doesn't need to know that you read your Bible today and she didn't read hers. She doesn't need to know how you told her if she would get this friend, life would improve. She doesn't need to be told how to set the seat in the car. She doesn't need any coaching. And if you don't think I'm right about this one, this one I've learned by experience. (laughs) And not just mine. You want to kill a woman's spirit? You want to say... You want to kill a woman's spirit, get her a husband who's constantly telling her what to do or how to do it. Over years, she will despise him. First, she'll put up with it, try to be a good wife. As the years go by, she'll say, I cannot stand that man. Because you're coaching her as if she's a child or one of your buddies, but she's a woman. And all she hears is, he doesn't like me the way I am. I can never be a good enough wife for him. So we don't lead that way. She's part of you. You lead her with tenderness, you lead her with grace, and you give her something to follow. Even when she doesn't, you are to love her. C.S. Lewis quote here. All rise. (laughs) Whenever there's a C.S. Lewis quote, I'm ready. You say, C.S. Lewis, I'm listening. He says, the husband is the head of the wife. Just in so far as he is to her what Christ is to the church. He is to love her as Christ loved the church. Read on and to give his life for her. This headship then is most fully embodied, not in the husband we should all wish to be, but in him whose marriage is most like a crucifixion. That's funny stuff right there. Him whose wife receives the most and gives the least. Him whose wife is most unworthy of him who is, in her own mere nature, least lovable. For the church has no beauty but what the bridegroom gives her. He does not find but makes her beautiful. So men, there it is. Your authority is to love like Christ loved the church. And he is a servant leader. He did not come, I did not come to the world to condemn the world, that the world may be saved through me. He laid down his life. So now you are a servant leader in your home. And you're not there to condemn, but you are there to serve. Second, make her beautiful. This is in the text also. Women value beauty. Men, men don't value. I, I value beauty. I, I got to be careful how I say this. I value beauty, but in a different way. I like the beauty of music. I like the beauty of the outdoors. I like beautiful, to look at beautiful women. Um, it's a way men are, are made. But I don't say, do I feel pretty? I never worry about that. It's never hit me. I want to be good looking enough to get a girl. 
now that I got a girl, I just want to wash enough that she won't leave me. <laughs> the only reason to look in a mirror is to make sure nothing's coming out of my nose, you know. But women value beauty their whole lives long. They value it, they hope to have it themselves. They value it in other women. Men don't. They don't value it in the same way. If women see a beautiful women model, they'll go, oh, how beautiful she is. If men see a guy who's trying to look good looking, all guys say something that's today politically incorrect. And if you don't believe me, ask them what they'd say. You can whisper right now, lean over. What do you say if you see a guy who's trying to act like he's all good looking? What's one guy say to another guy? I could say it now, but you'd get in trouble these days. We don't admire that stuff. But she wants to be beautiful. You know, beauty is a strange thing. Some women are given triple helpings of physical beauty. It's just a fact. Some are given less than others, and most are given somewhere in the middle. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the picture of Christ loving and leading his wife in such a way that she is beautiful to him. And this is what Paul says you should do. Well, you can't be Jesus. You can't, you can't wash her sins away, but you can adore her. And you can praise all that is lovely in her. Every woman is beautiful. Christian women have the advantage, if they're obeying God, of growing in true beauty as the years go by. Uh, One day so much that they will shine like the sun. Only the immature don't see the beauty of their own wife. And it's up to you to make her beautiful. Third, uh, love her as if she is your own body. We all love our bodies, flaws and all. If anyone tries to poke a fork into my stomach, I'm going to try to stop them because I love my stomach. I value me. You value you. I care for me. You care for you. I put me first in self-care. And you put you first. I put on my (laughs) seatbelt. You know, I I try to protect myself. If someone were to be here uh, shooting gun, I would try to avoid bullets. And so would you. Now, I may jump across my wife and protect her, but I'd hope neither of us got hit. (laughs) In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. It's not the physical thing going on here. It's as you would love your own body. You don't have to go, let me cut your, let me brush your teeth, honey. No, 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 he's not saying that. He's saying, what if (laughs) you and her are really one because you are spiritually? then love her like you love yourself because you are one. And, and one that goes, the negative of that, I'm going to put as number four because it's easy to remember this. Remember that a man who hates his wife hates himself. A man who criticizes his wife is criticizing himself. A man who picks on his wife is picking on himself. A man who ignores his wife is ignoring himself. A man who's angry at his wife is angry at himself. You're only hating yourself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it. Be gentle, good, and kind. <laughs> The number one deal, men, 
is kindness. And ladies, by the way, it's the same thing for men. The number one thing we're looking for in a relationship is kindness. You see the good. You don't criticize the bad. But men, if you hate your wife, you're hating yourself. Finally, worship Jesus because of how he loves you. You need to lead your wife in worship. You need to lead your wife. Christian men need to lead their wives in worship. Wives should never lead their husbands. And now often wives do because wives are often the spiritual one in the house, as it's said. They drag their husbands into worship. I see it all the time. I, I know when it's the woman who loves Jesus and the man who's just trailing along. And I don't know why. Often because I think he's not saved and he just wants peace in the house. This can lead to a question from a man. How can I be the spiritual leader when she's so far ahead of me? And that's true in many cases. Intellectually, she may just be able to run rings around you. She may know her Bible better. She may have been in church longer. She just is, is ahead of you. You're missing how leadership works. Whoever said that leadership meant you had to know more or be better at anything than the ones you're leading? Whoever said that? If you had to be better or know more than other people to lead them, I wouldn't be the lead pastor at Harvest Community Church. Trust me. And that's, that's, that's a little humorous, but it's beyond humor. Trust me. I don't, Pastor Kevin and, and Scott and Fred and Mike aren't waiting for me to be better at them than them at what they do. Because I'm not. When they look to me for leadership, don't let me down in this, they're saying. What direction are we going? Are you passionate about it? And are you fully committed? That's really all they need from me. And I can be an absolute moron if I can deliver those. Your husband can be an absolute moron and be a great leader. Maybe he is. So husband, leadership is about direction. Are you going to be a Christian family or not? Leadership is where you say, we are. And and leadership is where you say is, we're 100% committed because I am. When we're too tired to get up for church, honey, I'm getting up for church. I'm not going to go. Come on, honey. No, I'm not. Okay, I'm going without you. And then he goes. That's leadership. She gets it. He's spiritually leading us. When you go on vacation, if you have kids, if the man says, it's Sunday, we got a lot of fishing to do, but first we're going to find a church around here and we're going to go to it. She may know the Bible backwards and forwards, but now you're leading. Or if she says it, why don't we find a church? And you go, you bet we will, honey. That's one of the best ideas I've heard all all weekend. That's leading. Your passion for Christ has to be number one. By the way, if your passion for Christ isn't number one, I don't care if you put any of this into practice. Just go out there and do your thing. Quit the church, men. Quit it. Go be lost. I, I'm not, I don't want to give tips so people who are on their way to hell can have a happy marriage. In fact, if you're on your way to hell, I hope you're miserable so that maybe you'll wake up. <laughs> this is your Christian responsibility to lead. 
You don't have to be a great leader. Men don't have to see you as a leader. You can be the followingest follower at work, rest or play Milky Way. Anywhere you go, but when you get home, your wife knows when it comes to Jesus, you're 100% in. That's it. You can do this. Worship him. Why? Because look what it says. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Husbands, do this because Jesus did it for you. When you were filthy and in your sin, he came and he washed your feet. And you say, no, I'm not worthy. And he says, I know you're not. But I, if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not in me. He died for you. He was fully committed to you. You worship him and lead by example. You do this, and nine out of ten times, your wife is going to understand the kindness of God that he gave you to her. She's going to, at times when she doesn't even say it to you, she's going to think, I'm so God gave, God gave me him. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.